If you got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Second Peter chapter one. Second Peter chapter one. Over the next three weeks, we're going to be in Second Peter chapter one, um, diving into what the Apostle Peter has to say here. You might ask, why are we talking about growth for for, for three weeks? All right. Why, why are we talking about growth? Why does it matter? All right. What, at the end of the day, why does it matter? Well, the first thing is that uh, Scripture talks about growing. Scripture talks about maturity. Okay. Scripture talks about that this life, uh, this journey is that we are becoming more and more like Christ. All right. That we were, we're, we're putting off childish things, childish ways of thinking. All right, child, childish actions, and we're moving into maturity. We're moving into adulthood. Colossians 2, 6 through 7 says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith. Psalm 92, 12 through 15 says this, The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. Continual growth. Still bearing fruit in old age. Still green. Still alive. Still this uh, infectious spirit that people are attracted to. Doesn't matter your age. It's continuous growth. Evergreen. First Peter 2, 2 through 3, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And then Peter, at the end of second Peter says this, and this is kind of his um, intent for writing this letter to the church. Second Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Peter says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. We see this idea of growth in scripture all throughout. God is, uh, this is, this is part of our journey. And so we're going to look at some three different sources over the next three weeks of how do I grow? And I can promise you this isn't going to be a, a, a three-step, you know, deal to, you know, a better life. Um, uh, it, it, it's going to look a little bit different because there's some components of growth that sometimes I think we overlook or misunderstand. Okay, so over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at three different sources of, of growing um, in our faith. All right. We're also going to spend the next three weeks, you know, looking at growth because as a society, as a culture, all right, we are preoccupied with growth. Okay, we talk about growth, all right, our actions reveal uh, uh, that ultimately uh, pretty much everything that we do is in the pursuit of somewhere. And we're always striving, none of us, if we're honest, going, hey, I'm trying to slide down this trajectory you know, becoming worse at or becoming more deficient at whatever it is that we're doing. Okay? And, and so, uh, uh, for example, growing our wealth. 
None of us are in a position where we're like, hey, I just want to slide down. I just want to drain my bank account. All right? That's not our society. That's not our culture. We spend time thinking about acting in ways in which to grow our wealth. Upgrading our homes. Moving up in the workplace. Growing up our muscles. Some of us, we spend a lot of time growing up our muscles. I don't spend a whole lot of time growing up my muscles. These are thinking man arms. I don't spend a whole lot of time in the gym. These are thinking man arms. We spend time growing up our intellect. We read articles about 10 steps for better mental health. You know, seven steps for how do I have better relationships in life? We are preoccupied, consumed with growth, whether from a secular standpoint or we're preoccupied or consumed with what does the Bible say about my spiritual growth? Because this is relevant. All right, our growth is relevant. I was sitting in a, um, a group of pastors um, we're, we're meeting this past week, and a, and a friend of mine had invited me for, for the first time to go join this group. Um, and this group of pastors meets uh, with the intent of leadership, reproduction, okay, reproducing leaders in the church, and also with the intent of reproducing the church, okay, planting um, and so I, I went for the first time to this meeting, and uh, as I was sitting there, one of the uh, p- fellow pastors there asked me, hey, uh, tell me about your church. You know, this is the first time I was sitting there, okay? And he said, hey, tell me about where, where you pastor. Tell me a little bit about your church. And I said, well, uh, church was planted, a gateway was planted 16 years ago, and um, we started out in a school. We still meet in a school We've committed to building people. Um, we're in the process of, uh, of asking God and waiting for God to reveal uh, uh, what he has for us as it pertains to facility. But, and, and, and then this came out of my mouth. I said, we, we, have, um, we have, because when I said, you know, we've been in the school for 16 years, you know, it's always there's this automatic, oh my gosh, that's a long time, man. You're, your people have been through a lot. You know, and so as I'm, you know, as I'm sharing that we've been in the school for 16 years, I said, yeah, we've got a core group of people at Gateway Church who are just mules. They are mules. You know, they're strong in their faith. They have great endurance. And week in and week out, they live in their identity. And that is the only reason why Gateway Church is still able, is up, and we still meet in this school, and we, and we still do ministry because we have a group of mules who are strong and who have great endurance. And then I'll never forget what, what, what he said to me next. He goes, that's interesting you use the word mule. Do you know anything about mules? And I said, I don't. I don't, I don't know much about mules. Um, can't say that I do. He said, what's interesting about a mule is that a mule comes from a male donkey and a female horse. A male donkey has 62 chromosomes. A female horse has 64 chromosomes. And when those male donkey and a female horse reproduce, that's how you get a mule. 
But the funny thing is, is that a mule only has 63 chromosomes. Which means a mule cannot reproduce. The only way that you get to a mule is from a male donkey and a female horse. A mule cannot reproduce. And what he was saying is, hey, it's great. And let me say this to you. It is great. Part of walking this journey out and growing in your faith is to be strong in your endurance and to live out your identity and to serve and edify the church. But what this pastor, and so let me commend you in that. But what this pastor was saying to me was that make sure that your people are reproducing, that they're not just mules working. Because the Bible calls us to individual growth and it also calls us to corporate growth. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus tells his disciples, go and make disciples. And so what this pastor was telling me is that we have a responsibility like a mule to work, to serve, to have great endurance. And we also have the responsibility of reproducing our faith. Growing. Making disciples. And that's why we're spending three weeks talking about growth. It's because God calls us individually in our personal walk with him to grow. And he's called us as a church to go and make disciples. To go and live sent. Our vision, Sabbath disciple, sinned. Go and live sent. Go and practice evangelism. Go and share the good news. Pull up alongside of somebody and teach them about who Jesus is and about what Jesus has done. Make disciples. Reproduce. We're not called to be just mules. That's part of it. That's not all of it. And so we look in Second Peter here. And this week we're talking about Grace and growth. Week one, grace and growth. Let's read it. Verse one, Simon Peter, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, a servant. The Greek word there is slave. Simon Peter, a slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter's a slave to Jesus. His will is subjected to Jesus. And he's an apostle of Jesus Christ, which means he has been commissioned for what Jesus has called him to. Jesus is the commissioner, okay? Peter has been commissioned by Jesus, okay, to go and make disciples, to go preach the gospel message. Some could say that that's Peter's identity statement right there. This is how he defines himself. I'm a slave of Christ Jesus. I'm an apostle. It means I've been commissioned by Jesus. 
to go and do these things. Then he writes the letter to uh, these uh, people right here. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. So Peter's writing this letter to the churches, Christians who share in the faith that he has. And his faith is because of the righteousness of God. Meaning that their faith is this. All right, as a Christians, when we profess our faith, we're saying, here is what I believe. Here's part of what it means for me to have faith is that I believe that when Jesus Christ came down to earth, he lived a perfect, sinless life. No blemish. He held the Old Testament law to the T. And not only that, he took the law to the next degree and fulfilled that as well. And so because, of he, because he did that, because he was perfection, righteous, holy, sinless, When he was raised from the grave three days after being crucified, and he says, if you believe onto my righteousness, if you believe onto what I have done for you, my righteousness, my good standing, my perfection will be imputed or counted as your righteousness. So what it means to have faith in the Christian is that I believe that Jesus Christ is perfect. And that when he says, if you believe unto me, you will have eternal life. I believe that. Because now when God looks at me, he no longer sees the dirtiness of what is inside of me, but he sees the righteousness of his own son. Because when he looks at me, he sees the blood of Jesus Christ covering me. That's what it means to have faith. And this is who Peter is writing to. Those of you that have, that share in the faith as I have. And which was given to us by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That word grace there, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. The Greek word for grace is charis, and it means this, that which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness. Or it means goodwill, loving kindness, favor. Okay, and and, and so you think about favor, loving kindness, and so we can define grace as the unmerited favor, the unmerited loving kindness of God towards man. Okay, let me put it in context for you. John 1, 14, 16 through 17. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen a glory. Glory is the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. For from this fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Or we have all received unmerited favor upon unmerited favor. We have all received this unmerited loving kindness from God. And so Peter is saying, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Understand this. Grace is multiplied to you in what? Through what? The knowledge. Through knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord. How is grace 
given to you? How is it multiplied to you? Knowledge, understanding of who God is. Adam was just talking about the spiritual discipline of studying scripture. As you study scripture, as you know Jesus Christ, as you know God, grace flows through that knowledge to you. Verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I want you to underline some things. His divine power, his, his divine power has granted to us, granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, his divine power, he has granted, this is his doing, when we talk about grace, this unmerited favor, God has granted to us his divine power. Everything that pertains to life and godliness. Again, you see, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, underline there, who called us. Who called us. How do you have knowledge of who God is? He calls you. He reveals himself to you. He draws you in to understanding and knowledge of who he is. We've been walking through the book of John and you understand Jesus is having all these conversations with these Pharisees and they're asking him, who are you, Jesus? And Jesus over and over and over and over again is saying, this is who I am. I've been trying to tell you this is who I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. I have been sent from the Father. I only do and say what he does and what he says. I'm God. I'm the Messiah. He says this over and over again, and they don't understand. They don't have knowledge. They don't see it. We have knowledge because God draws us in to see. God reveals himself to us. And he calls us to his own glory and excellence. Think about that for a second. God is calling us, drawing us in our understanding of him to grow up in spiritual maturity because he's calling us to his own glory and excellence. I don't quite have a perception of what that's like. Maybe you have a perception of what it's like to be in heaven, to be around the throne. To behold the glory of God. He's calling us to his own glory and excellence. In which we're transformed from one degree of glory to another. His glory, his excellence. Verse 4, by which he has granted, again, he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Not only does he call us, not only does he call us to understanding of who he is, he then also grants us very precious and very great promises in which we can stand upon and which we can have hope in. 
so that through these promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature. As we put off our sinful desires, as we put off our flesh and we clothe ourselves with Christ, as his spirit dwells within us, we are being transformed to that very divine nature of being Christ-like. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Having escaped. God calls us. Reveals himself to us. Grants us these precious and great promises. Grants us this divine power by the Spirit of God dwelling within us. And pardons us. In Christ, he pardons us from the corruption of sin and evil and eternal death. Understand how all this happens. God's grace. God's grace is what makes this all happen. Our faith without God's grace, we have no faith. Because without his grace, we would not, we, we would not know. We'd be like the Pharisees, like, hey, Jesus, what, what you talking about? Who are you? Without God's grace, calling us, revealing to us his nature, we would have no idea. We, would, we wouldn't have faith. Let me break it down this way. First thing I see in this passage is that God's grace calls us to his own glory and excellence. What do I mean by God's grace calls us? John six thirty seven. where we've been hanging out, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. All that the Father gives to me comes to me. God initiated. Your faith is because God has given you to his son. God has drawn you. John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Hear that. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. John 6, 50, John 6, 65, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. This is the teaching of Jesus Christ. This is Jesus saying, you cannot come to me unless the Father draws you. I was driving home from the office late last night. And as I'm driving through the neighborhood, all the lights in the houses are off. This, the, uh, through the windows, you, you look in and everything's dark. And I got to thinking about what Jesus is saying here is you can't come to me 
unless the Father draws you, unless the Father reveals through the Holy Spirit. You can't come to me. I was looking at these houses and I was thinking to myself, Ephesians 2 says that we're dead in our sins, dead in our sins and trespasses, but through the grace of God, we have been given this faith where we, where we, where we go from dead to living. But I was looking in these houses and I'm going, a dead man can't get up and turn the lights on. I'm talking physically here. A dead man can't get up and turn the lights on in that house. If I was laying in one of these houses and I was dead, my life was over, I could not get up and turn one of these light switches on. And the same is true for our spiritual condition. If you are dead spiritually, if you are without Christ, outside of Christ, you yourself cannot get up and turn the light switch on. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, if you are spiritually dead, you can't flip that switch. Only God turns the lights on. Only God gives you revelation of himself. Only God gives you understanding of himself. This is what Jesus is saying here. I chose you. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. A.W. Tozer therefore says, according to the teachings of Christ, no man will or can come and believe unless there has been done within him a previant work of God enabling him to do so. Understand your faith starts with the graciousness of God calling you to himself because I desire you. I desire that you would be saved. It's a gracious work because we can't turn the spiritual lights on ourselves. Left up to us, we would remain dead in our sins and trespasses. Grace, God's grace calls us to his own glory and excellence. God's grace makes known to us this knowledge. When, 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 when Peter's talking about this knowledge, we're to grow up in this grace through knowledge. May this grace be multiplied to you through knowledge. What is that knowledge? Well, God's grace makes known to us this knowledge. John 17, 26. I've, this is Jesus speaking. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be, may be in them and I in them. John 15, 15, Jesus again speaking, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. John 8, 19, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. What am I trying to say? Colossians 1, 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. God's grace, he, through his grace, has made himself known to us through his son, Jesus Christ, who is the fullness of God in flesh, who came down to dwell amongst us so that we may know God. How do we grow in knowledge and understanding? 
Do you know the life of Jesus? He's the fullness of God. What we read as we walk through the book of John, we're reading about the knowledge of God, the fullness of God. And through this understanding, through this knowledge of him, we may grow in grace. Grace may be multiplied to us. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, which Adam referred to earlier, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be equipped for every good work, so that the man of God may be complete. How do we grow in knowledge? This says that a complete life can be found right here in Scripture alone. You don't have to go anywhere else. God has revealed himself to us right here, graciously, graciously. God could have left us in our own sin. He didn't have to inspire men through the Holy Spirit to write this, to make himself known to us. He didn't have to send his son to make himself known to us. It's his unmerited favor on us. And which has caused him, it's his love and which has caused him to be gracious towards us. God's grace grants us divine power as you see in this passage. 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells within you? The spirit of God dwells within you. The spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells within you. Meditate on that for a minute. Put it this way, John 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Meaning Jesus is saying, if you believe in me, you will do the works that I do. For I am going to the Father, which means I will send the Holy Spirit who will indwell with you. And you will have the power that was in me and which raised me from the dead. Wrap your minds around that. God has granted you divine power to grow into the fullness of Christ that will be completed at the end of your life here when you will receive your glorified body. but has granted you divine power, the helper of the Holy Spirit to grow and walk this out and and which reveals all things that pertains to life and godliness. Divine power, transcendent power, power that is greater than your circumstantial situations that you find yourself in. These these, These temporary things that are going on in your life, these temporary seasons, you have divine power that transcends those things. That you can overcome these things. God's grace grants us precious and very great promises. In Revelations 5.10, it says, you have made, this is Jesus, you have made them a king 
and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. These very precious and great promises that we have escaped the corruption of sin and evil and eternal death. And the promises that we have eternal life in which we will reign in God's kingdom. We will have this share in God's kingdom, this inheritance in God's kingdom, this adoption into God's kingdom. Very great promises. Promises for then, promises for now. The promise of the Holy Spirit is that I will guide you into all truth. The promise of the Holy Spirit is that I will comfort you. The promise of the Holy Spirit is I will teach you. It's God's grace that draws you, gives you understanding, grants you divine power, grants you very precious and great promises, grants you escape from sin, evil, and eternal death. And we can't do any of this on our own. Without God's grace, we would have none of this. Without his drawing of us, we would have none of this. And that's a hard thing for us. That's a very hard thing for us to accept. Because what we want the most in our growth, in our spiritual growth, or growth in our business, or whatever it is, the the thing that we want the most is to be able to have stake in it. To be able to go, I have done this. I've got some merit here. I've got responsibility in which has caused this growth. Because that makes us feel like we've accomplished something. I've earned something. I feel good about this. Make no mistake what Jesus says here. He says, you can't come to me unless the Father draws you. Which means your faith in Christ ultimately has everything to do with God's work and not yours. It has everything to do with God's work and not ours. We can't take ownership. We can't take ownership of this drawing. We're spiritually dead. We can't turn the lights on. Don't hear what I'm not saying, because we're going to get to this next week. Next week, we'll talk about effort and growth. Because while Peter says this, then he transitions just right underneath and says, hey, make every effort to supplement your faith with these characteristics, these practical things. Don't hear what I'm not saying, but I want you to understand without God's drawing of you to himself, you will, you would be left eternally in your sin and in your grossness. Man, as I've meditated on God's grace, if you want to meditate on God's grace, I can promise you, here's what's going to happen. Because here's what's happened as I've meditated on God's grace the last couple of weeks. I have found out just how disgusting I am. 
Because when you meditate on the grace that, uh, that, that God has called you to himself and you had nothing to do with it, I start thinking about, God, why in the world would you do that? Why in the world did you do that? And when you think about that, you, then, then you start to run down this trail of why would you do that? Look, look. Look at these thoughts that I'm having right now. Look at these things that I've done this week. Why in the world would you do that? It won't take long if you start meditating on the grace of God to realize just how gracious and loving he is to adopt you into his family and to say you are righteous, clean, you are pure, you are without blemish. It produces some things in you when you meditate on the grace of God. You want to grow in your spiritual walk? You want to grow? Meditate on the grace of God. Meditate on what God has done for you, what God has called you to, what promises God has made to you. Meditate on that because what will happen is that this. As you meditate on God's grace, what will happen is that you'll have this uh, a grateful heart bent towards worship. Adam was just talking about worship, the spiritual discipline of worship. When you meditate on the grace of God, you will have this grateful heart that is bent towards worship. As you meditate on the grace of God, there's this humility that comes. Because as I've meditated on the grace of God, there's this revealing then, his grace just cuts all the way down, exposing all the grossness, saying, I know this, but I still love you, I've still called you. And that produces a humility inside of you that gives way to the Holy Spirit. You want to grow? Meditating on the grace of God will cause you to worship. It'll cause, you to, to, it'll cause your life to be bent towards worship. And it'll create in you a, a, a humble posture in which gives way to the Holy Spirit, in which you set, you, you, you know, set to the, you know, the side your own will. The faith that we have flows out of the grace of God. The grace in his son. God's grace in his son. Who ultimately he crushed. God's grace in his son, who ultimately he crushed. And who was raised three days later from the grave. Who was exalted then to the throne forever. And which then secures our hope, secures our right standing with God. And it's God's calling of us to know this gospel. It's his calling of us. Our faith is because of his calling. 
It's not because you've done anything. It's not because you've done anything. It's God is so gracious, so loving. A guy I like to read, Jared Wilson, says this, and then I'll close. He says this in a book called Sola, which is Latin for alone. He says, essentially, the gospel most glorifies God because it announces this, that God has saved us from himself. He has saved us from himself, from his own wrath. God has saved us from himself to himself. He's called us to his own glory and excellence. He saved us from himself to himself through himself. By himself, for himself. Let me, let me say that again. God has saved us from himself, to himself, through himself, by himself, for himself. How, how much more gracious can it get? How much more loving can it get? We can't begin to understand the loving kindness of God. I told Adam this morning, I wasn't going to quote Charles Spurgeon, but I'm about to quote Charles Spurgeon, okay? Charles Spurgeon was talking about how as humans, we can, we can define the love of man towards man. We can't define the love of God towards man. You want to know why? Charles Spurgeon goes on to talk about we have no perception of what it's like to be Jesus in heaven, holding up all of creation with his arms as the angels worship and acquire and praise his name. We have no idea what glory, what that would be like or what that would feel like. And on the same note, we have no idea what it would be like for Jesus to be forsaken by his own father, crucified, and sent down where his soul was abandoned. The two extremes we have no frame of reference for. We can't begin to even articulate those two things. And yet... This is how much God loves us, that he sent his son from one extreme to the other for you. We can't begin to scratch the surface of God's love and graciousness towards us because we can't even begin to explain what it's like to be there or to be there. And Jesus passed from there to there to put us in right standing with God and to secure our eternity. That is so gracious, so loving. And that ought to cause you to just stop and worship. And it ought to bring you security. It ought to bring you security. Paul says in Philippians, I am confident in this, that what God started in you, he will complete. He will finish. And so if God has drawn you to himself, revealed himself to you, you have faith and understanding, Paul says, what God has started in you, he will finish because these are his very great and precious promises. What security that is. What security that is. Our growth starts with grace. 
If we misplace that, if something comes before that, if our efforts and work come before God's grace, we have legalism. We don't have Christianity. We have us trying to achieve something. I want to challenge you this week with this. Take some time during each day this week to read about God's grace as you study Scripture and spend time worshiping the grace of God towards you and what it will produce in you is a grateful heart a posture of humility in which is great soil for growth. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for um, who you are and you can't change that. You never change. You don't change your nature. And so this graciousness is who you are. This lovingness is who you are. And God, the consequences of your grace and lovingness on my life has changed everything. And I'm so grateful for that. And God, I pray that we would be a people who worship you and serve you out of our knowledge and understanding of your grace, out of our knowledge and understanding of your son, that these things would compel us to maturity, from milk to solid food. God, we want to chew on solid food. We want to grow up strong in you on a firm foundation. We don't want, God, and God, this is so necessary for us because if it left up to ourselves, we would be tossed to and fro by whatever wind and doctrine the culture throws at us. We would be tossed, unsure, unstable. But God, your grace produces deep roots. And so let us meditate on your grace this week. Let us read about your grace this week. God, be with us as people who strive after maturity. We're not just strong mules who serve you. But we're people, as we grow, we go and make disciples, and your kingdom grows. And all this is possible, God, because of your grace. God, we love you. Amen.